On this week's episode of DLN Extend, we talk about making the switch over to Linux. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 27 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network to give our takes. I'm Nate, a Linux fitness and vintage tech enthusiast with an almost unhealthy obsession with the OpenSUSE project. And I'm joined by Wendy, the photographer extraordinaire, and Matt, the gamer enabler of the DLN network. How's it going, Wendy? <laughs> I am doing pretty good today. So what have you had going on? Well, I've actually spent most of this week tearing apart many different pieces of technology. It's been a teardown week for me. Most of fun. that I'm going to talk about. Yes, it is. It's so and much messy. fun too. Very messy. And especially when you have little kids and tiny screws and you're like, I love you and I know you want to see what's going on, but please <laughs> don't dump that. <laughs> the used Ooh. Xbox One and we are super excited to use it. Ryan actually sent it over to me. And which my oldest daughter is extremely excited about. And when it got no. here, there was kind of a, a rattle to it. So I didn't want to power it on until I knew what inside was rattling. Good call. I figured if I didn't check it out first, then it was going to be something extremely important. And then the whole thing was going to be trashed. The teardown was really easy. And when I got into it, it's actually one of the um, case screw or case posts was knocked out of place. And so oh, okay. it, it was what was rattling around in there. Nothing that would have been a bad thing, but it was good to know. And why I was already in there, I figured, well, I'll go ahead, finish taking it apart and remove all of that old nasty thermal paste, put on fresh thermal paste. I go to fire it up last night and it's making all kinds of noises at me and the darn thing won't stay on very long. First, I think it's the power supply. So I dismantle the power supply which that actually needed done. Holy dust. I've got pictures of the amount of <laughs> crap that was in the fan for the power supply and it was nasty. <laughs> you have to share pictures with the class on that one. Oh. I would appreciate seeing those pictures. But so once I got that all cleaned up and, and back together, moved the power supply around, it was still, it was running a little bit better, but it was still just randomly turning off. And I was starting to think, well, you know, maybe I messed up in getting the thermal paste back on or, you know, something. And I shot Ryan a message and kind of talked it over with him. And this morning I pulled it all back apart, reapplied thermal paste and it looked good. It was an even coating across the whole CPU. That looked great. Got it all put back together. And as I was putting it back together, I was thinking, you dumb, dumb, you probably didn't have this front ribbon cable seated correctly all the way. So if you've ever taken one apart on the front panel piece, there's a ribbon that connects to a daughter board on the front of it. And that's what controls the power on button and the button that ejects your CDs. When I turned it on or plugged it in this time, we didn't have all of those power on power off noises that were happening the first time I set it up. And they're not real buttons. It's running fantastic. It's downloading a game, getting ready to go. So I'm pretty sure my thermal paste application was good, but those pesky ribbon cables that need to be applied at some funky angle as you're looking at it with your tweezers and trying to get it in and locked around is an adventure. Well, that's very cool. That That's a fun project. Did, did, did your kids get involved in the taking apart besides losing, trying, trying not to have them lose screws where they like <laughs> with their noses in there and 
Oh yes. Noses are totally in there. Mom, what are you doing? Where does that go? What is this? That kind of, you know, that involvement, which I love those questions as long as we're keeping our drinks away from it as mom's working on it and (laughs) we're not dumping screws. So I try to keep all of that stuff (laughs) in the center where it's harder for them to touch as they're looking and trying to figure out what I'm doing. I may recommend go to like a, I don't know if you have a Harbor Freight around you or some sort of like an automated part store, but I have one of these like magnetic dishes. So you put your screws inside that so they can't roll off. And, uh, and I that, need one that of is, those. Yes, that is, that's pretty fantastic, especially with kids. Because this is several projects ago. I can't remember what it was now. But I was taking something apart, you know, what the kids being part of it. An excited hand goes brushing across the table <laughs> and hits those screws. Yes. And like you see them kind of glimmer as they, you know, as they fly away from you. And you hear them rattling around in the four corners of the room. And yeah. that white hot sweat that goes from being like a, a fun <laughs> project to being... All right, everybody get out. (laughs) Yes, everybody out. And then you're on your hands and knees trying to find these itty bitty little screws. For the most part, in the Xbox One, the screws weren't too horribly tiny, and especially the case screws. Oh my gosh, those suckers are extremely long because they go all the way through from the top metal part to the bottom plastic piece. They are some extremely long screws. You wouldn't be losing those. Well, Matt, what have you been up to? For me, I have been playing video games that are not related to really anything this time. Just games I want to play. I've been playing a fighting game for a game series called Guilty Gear. Old school, cell shaded, so it's got like an anime look to it. Um, 2D fighter, or 2.5D fighter, because there's a Mm. 3D element to the, the characters. Good solid fighting game that just happens to be you know gold rated and works perfectly well on Linux, online, offline, and all the things in between. So, awesome. so that is a Guilty Gear Exerd Revelator. What specifically interests you about this? A couple of different things. The way they do the story is more like an anime kind of presentation. So the way they present the story is games like Injustice and those kind of games, uh, Mortal Kombat, some of the newer Mortal Kombats, they present the games in a very cinematic way, but they're also done as there's gameplay in between. So like you'll have a setup movie, then you'll have like a fight, then you'll have another setup movie to another fight. These guys don't do that. These guys show a little more of a, here's an anime movie for the story and that's its own thing so you have you know maybe i'd say two hour anime-ish type movie and then you have the gameplay and it kind of gives like an introduction to all the characters and that kind of stuff and kind of gives the characters their own time to shine without having to understand the entire backstory of everything they they do have like a prequel mode that kind of tells what leads what those characters are doing up to that movie portion of the game so that you kind of do have some backstory to the lead up of that particular aspect of the game solid online play so there's just a lot of things if you're a fighting game fan or an evo fan which for those who don't know what evo is it's a fighting league uh, esport competition and it's just one of those games that i I really enjoy looks great plays great and if i can play it on linux why not the last fighting game that i played was on the super nintendo the mortal Kombat that they made for that i don't know it was three or two or one i I can't remember five (laughs) six years ago i think when it came out right the 90s just happened uh so what was the <laughs> digitized characters like? What what, what do fighting no, no, games the, look like now? The, the, this particular this the way this game was built, 
is it's originally based the the original art style for this game these games were 16-bit you know sprite you know that very street fighter 2-esque look so you know 16-bit as far as like how, how the characters are built and moved and animate and all that kind of stuff what they've done is they went for a, to keep it as a, a 2d look so but with a 3d in uh 3d character models so i can't explain exactly how they do it the best explanation is if you've seen any computer animated cell shaded games like any of the uh dragon ball z like Budokai games or any of that kind of stuff that's kind of what it is but on a 2d plane so it has a 3D look to the characters, but That's the environment, the environment, the, like the environments themselves, are more of like a, a, a 2D plane, but they have a 3D element to them. And they tried keeping that 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 sprite-based look to the characters still, while still pushing forward with like a polygon 3D effect on the characters. Well, I would check out a link if you would share it, but I also I don't I don't click on your links, so um. <laughs> just. Uh, why? Because it might <laughs> enable you to buy more games. Yes, part of it. Yeah, because you are the you are the DLN enabler. Well, for those that are wondering, you can actually get uh, this particular game on Fanatical.com right now for eight ninety nine. Just saying. Well, there you go. See, there you go, <laughs> enabling again. I would never. He just he just did. He can't help it. No, he can't. So, Nate, what have you been up to? But I made a monitor purchase. Uh, not just Ooh. any monitor, but I, I made an ultra wide monitor purchase wait, for my primary wait, machine. Wait, new hardware? Yeah. All right, so here's the thing. Wendy is also an enabler. Wendy and Ryan <laughs> are also like hardware enablers. But there's another one, another enabler on the on the DLN network. He uh, and he's a contributor on, on Front Page Linux. His name is uh, Maru uh, Gaspari. He is actually the first enabler on getting an ultra wide. And I was we were sharing like desktop pictures, and he showed me his setup with an ultra wide. I'm like, wow, for that I, I hadn't seen an ultra wide before. And I'm like, that's pretty crazy looking. How do you like that? And he told me. And then for and I've been noodling around in my head and looking at specs and looking at like what do I want curved or flat or, or what and i you know i was thinking a 1440p or a 1080p and you know, so just again still just kind of noodling that around and i took some measurements and of, of my my setup so i ended up going with this lg uh, ultra wide it's a 1080p so two, a 2560 by 1080 i originally wanted a 1440 but i couldn't get one in a small enough package to put where i want to otherwise mm-hmm. it would have been just like it just would have been too much i know that's yeah. weird too wide for, for how far away I am from the monitor. So I have a standing arrangement and I'm just kind of picky about certain aspects. Uh, so I got it and when I plugged it in, it would only be recognized as a uh, standard you know, 1920 by 1080. Like there was no option to select you know, the two, two 2560 with. And so I'm yeah. digging around. And actually I found the solution on the OpenSUSE forum, which linked to an, uh, I think, uh, Ask Ubuntu. But you had to actually make a rule in your X org to say this is the preferred mode or this is a mode that 2560 and i don't know if it's because my computer is older because when it it boots up it doesn't use it the hardware itself you know the the uh the dell hardware doesn't recognize that resolution either obviously it's capable of Mm, it but but i think that um at the bios level it doesn't recognize it so maybe i need a bios update i don't know i'm not gonna mess with that anyway so I uh, I really really like it. Like the window tiling feature in Plasma is so much nicer as far as like moving stuff around. It, it's a cleaner look rather than having my ad hoc monitor setup that I had previously. And I'm I'm really happy with uh, with, with the result. And it was the probably the best one hundred and seventy nine dollars and ten cents I've ever ever spent. So I got a good deal on it. This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. 
DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. And you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. So for this week's topics, we kind of wanted to dive into something of the community had been talking about a lot lately, and that was a stress-free Linux experience. Now, this is a multi-part and multifaceted question that ended up showing up in this particular post, um, and this will take a good portion of the show, but I thought it was a really good discussion point for a lot of what we as Linux users are looking for. Because we all have a we all have a starting point. We all have things we're looking for. So a lot of these questions aren't just for people who are longtime Linux users, but these are also like baseline questions for people who are just getting into Linux. You know, where do you start? How do you navigate all this kind of stuff? So I thought it was an interesting topic of discussion, especially given some of the answers throughout. But I figured we could take, you know, kind of question by question and kind of give our quick takes on them. I'm going to butcher the name and, well, I am horrible at enunciation. What do you want me to say? SB <laughs> uh, says, hello, everyone. for those four members who have been using Linux for a long while now, at least a few years, as you learned the ropes of how the whole Linux distro ecosystem works, what sort of guidelines did you make for yourself to minimize the various sorts of stress of being faced with such a wide range of choices in the ecosystem? Easy for me. At the time, <laughs> there were three choices. OpenSUSE, <laughs> OpenSUSE, and OpenSUSE? No, actually, I mean, <laughs> correction, four choices. So then there was there was Mandrake, there was Red Hat, Debian, yeah. and SUSE. And uh, I was in the store and there were two boxes there. There was a Mandrake box and a SUSE box. And I grabbed the Mandrake box. And that's that's really how I got started. I bought a box set. So the for choices, I mean, I, the choice, yeah, obviously that that's kind of a challenging thing. And, you know, as much as I love the OpenSUSE project, and I think it's it's the uh, it's the best for me out there. I, I'm going to tell somebody like this, just start with Ubuntu proper. You know, I mean, it, it has GNOME as a, as a desktop and that's not my favorite, but I think it's a good way to just start. Everything is kind of done for you. It's a nice entry point. If you don't like it, if there's something you don't like about it, Kubuntu. I think that, that those are two contrasting setups. You know, you're going to have good support in the community and it's just, it's a, it's just a great way to, uh, to kind of get your feet wet or your toes wet. Or, you know, if you want to jump all in, get your eyeballs wet. The, your software support will be great. There's, there's really not going to be any, uh, you just can't go wrong with those as your choices. You have to end up understanding the base distros in order to actually understand the, to make the choices seem a whole lot less daunting. So, you know, you understand what Slackware is, understand what Ubuntu is, the difference between Ubuntu and Debian. But for someone just jumping in, though, I mean, is but, that really, but do you for want to burden them with all that information? Well, that's the thing. Are you really burdening them with a lot of information or is this no different than understanding how certain, most Windows users don't know that a .msi file is actually a Microsoft installer. So when they see a, a .deb or a .rpm, they're not going to care. They just want to know that it works on their system. 
My point is, is the Linux users, like current Linux users, should be helping people understand the difference between the base systems. Because, because that overall helps you decide which one you want to use. Exactly. So like a Gen 2 base or a, why you do that, I don't know. But, you know, if you want to punish yourself, go ahead. If you want to use Gen 2 or uh, Slackware or Ubuntu or Debian or Fedora or OpenSUSE, to understand those kind of like core base distros, I think will help you understand the ecosystem as a whole a lot better. Because once you understand the, at the end of the day, small intricacy differences, like, okay, this is uses DNF or RPM, whatever you want to call it. This uses Debs. This uses TarGZ. Once you understand those kind of basics, the the understanding of the rest of the ecosystem is a lot easier. To somebody who's new, what what the heck does DNF mean? What the heck is is Pacman or or App? Some of those are, are intricacies that, as you're using them, you learn. Okay, I like the way this package manager handles stuff different. If I'm going basics, we're starting with: Do you want something that's rolling or stable? What is your workflow like? Do you need the new stuff? Are you constantly getting new hardware? Or is this something that needs to just turn on, run, and having the latest drivers and and that kind of thing isn't necessarily the most important for you? And then we can divide the distros based on that as the start. Yeah, like definitely I agree that you have to... kind of tailor the recommendation to obviously the user and the hardware. And, you know, if, if you're buying brand new AMD hardware, I'm probably not uh, as much as I like Ubuntu, I'm probably not going to recommend Ubuntu just because older stuff. I'll probably recommend an, you know, a Manjaro or Solus or something that rolls. So I mean, granted, (laughs) Tumbleweed. Tumbleweed. The thing is I was late to the game. So when I, started looking at Linux in late 2015, having, there there was a ton. Not only was there a bunch of different desktop environments, there was this really wide variety as far as distro options in general. And that part was definitely a little more overwhelming at first. And I know this is one place where some of the community negative talk, as we've talked about in the past, pushed me away from actually using Ubuntu. So it was one of those that I kind of read in forums and they're like, ah, it's not that great. And I really didn't give Ubuntu a fair shot for a long time just from the people that the minority that was really loud and talking about how bad Ubuntu was. But at the same time, I also wanted the newest. So it was a Fedora base that actually pulled me in the beginning and it was Corora. It's no longer around, but it still has an extremely special place in my heart because it was my first Linux home. And for the time being, it offered everything I needed. There was multiple desktop environments that I could learn, right? When you're using Windows, you got one or none. It is what it is. And so that was fantastic to see which one of these is going to be best for my workflow, which one is going to run best on my computer. So Corora had those options. It had an easier install than base Fedora. And as a new user for me, having all of these pre-installed applications was a huge bonus because not only was I first being exposed to Linux, but I was also first being exposed to all of the open source applications that were out there. And while later down the road, that would have been annoying because there was a whole bunch of stuff that I was removing in the beginning, it was fantastic. So I can see, oh, that's what 
that they use for this job. This is some of the workflow that can be done for that project. And it kind of let me see, these are some of the applications out there. And then if I didn't really like that one, the ability to be like, what is an alternative to this application on Linux. Yeah, definitely. And I think that kind of plays into uh, the next question, actually. You know, how did you set your sights on tired grouping of choices when you realized that it would be effectively impossible to try out every distribution, every desktop environment, every piece of software, which could possibly meet <laughs> some of those needs? And honestly, it's usually trying the distros that basically include everything in the kitchen sink. Yeah, I think it's ultimate. It used to be Ubuntu Ultimate or Ultimate Ubuntu, but it's uh, Ultimate now. They include everything in the kitchen sink for pre-installed programs. Those are helpful because I think what that allows is, like you mentioned, Wendy, it allows people to kind of figure out what is uh, maybe an adequate substitution or they didn't realize like this program was actually available online. It's like, oh, I didn't realize Firefox was on this, this OS. I didn't realize Chrome or take your pick for set application. And I think what that ends up doing is it ends up helping the user understand that a lot of their maybe programs that they're, they were on are actually available on this platform, even if they didn't realize it. And that there are adequate substitutions. There might not be drop-in replacements. There might be a learning curve. There might be missing features, <clears throat> et cetera. But there are a wide range of pieces of software available. Whether or not you're willing to learn them, that, that that's on you. I think those type of di- those kitchen sink distros do help. I, I know a lot of people tend to take issue with them because it's like, why why do I have a four and a half gig download or you know like the endless OS yeah. is like twenty gigs I think or something. But yeah, they they can definitely be huge. And if you have slow country internet like I do, it's one of those things that you start and then you turn off the go to sleep settings on your computer and go do something else and come back a few hours later and be like, okay, cool. It's time to install now. <laughs> I'm going to say something that might upset somebody here, and, and I, I'm okay with that. Essentially, there are only four choices for Linux. <laughs> All right. All right. There's, there's OpenSUSE slash Fedora. That's one choice. I know you're probably like, well, what do you mean? Well, they're both RPM-based. They're both a lot of the third-party packages. They work on either distribution. The software build requirements or build, build rules are the same for both of them. In fact, OpenSUSE uses the Fedora guidelines for building package software. Didn't know if you knew that. Now you do. Debian Ubuntu. Now, obviously, Ubuntu rebuilds Debian archives. But for the most part, not 100%, but for the most part, they're kind of the same, the same core system. As far as the core goes, you know, there's not really a whole huge difference. And I yes, would disagree there because Ubuntu gets way more updates than I'd say basic Debian does. Ubuntu moves a little bit yes. faster. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't disagree with that. But as far as like, if you get a stray dev out there, like someone builds a Debian package, it's likely oh, yeah. it'll work on Debian and Ubuntu. So it's yeah. that, that's one. And they're the, they're the big one of, of the group. Then you, have, then you have Arch and Arch-like things, which I would never steer new user to. And then you have my fourth category is the Solus, Gentoo, Slackware, et cetera, grouping. I, I, um, I'm actually really not even sure what Solus is targeting anymore, uh, but, but they're, you know, they are their own package, their, their own build. Gentoo is obviously you build it yourself. And Slackware also you, is, you know, is its own system. So software you get for OpenSUSE or Fedora or Ubuntu won't necessarily work on the others. 
necessarily. Basically, you, you're, you're locked down to those four choices. And then you have on top of that, your desktop choices. And um, and that's where things, you know, I, I'm going to steer someone toward Plasma immediately, but I can understand why there'd be apprehension toward that. You know, maybe a yeah. Cinnamon desktop would be better. Maybe just the way Ubuntu rolls GNOME is actually really nice, the way they the way they handle all that. So I, I think that that's why it brings me back to, if it's, you know, you know if, if, for someone just coming into it and I don't have the ability to, to hold their hand through the process, I know that getting into Ubuntu proper with GNOME, neither Ubuntu or GNOME are my favorites, but they happen to hit really high on the consumer-friendly level. I mean, Dell, Dell packages you know, Ubuntu proper with its Linux laptop offerings, you know, and Dell is not a dumb company. And Pop! OS, part of the Ubuntu family, they also use GNOME. So you can very easily move between those commercial grade, if I may call it that, distributions. And that's, again, why I would, you know, that'd be my, my first choice. The next question they ask is, you know, what what did you do to try to simplify things and manage the complexity so you didn't get uh, didn't get out of hand? Did these approaches work? Uh, generally speaking, over the longer term, view Linux and computers and technology as an appliance. It's got one purpose. Let's make it do it really well. All the other stuff it might do, that's like bonuses, but can you make it do the one feature and function you need it to? If it can do that, and you can build around that, that's what Matt. I have a machine that is specifically dedicated to gaming. It has video editing functionalities that I use, but it's dedication. It's one feature, primary feature and function is gaming. I have another machine that is literally dedicated to all this audio editing and video editing and, you know, streaming and all that. That is its one function. The side part of that is dedicated GPU so I can play some games on it if I want to but it's primary purpose so for me it's taking that kind of Unix approach is what made simplifying what I need out of a machine a whole lot easier like obviously I have a a Ryzen uh, 2700X with a Vega 64 I'm going to use a rolling distro on that so that way I have the most current up-to-date kernels and the most current up-to-date mesas that's the problem with static releases on that particular hardware, because that's where that st- those improvements are, is in the kernel in Mesa. Yeah. So if you're tailing Linux to the use case of the machine, I find that a lot of the other stuff you can kind of make work for that machine. I think isolating what you need out of, out of the hardware helps you kind of simplify and dwindle down what you need from the software. That makes sense. I know a lot of people that they have, the machine has to do multiple things. So it's the checking your email and, you know, doing all kinds of things. So this computer I actually share with my husband. We both use the main desktop system and it has to do my photo editing and I am playing with video editing more, but it also needs to be able to do his billing. So he works for himself and none of that, his billing really isn't that complicated. So as long as it'll run the photography stuff that I need, then pretty much just about any computer will work well for him, but there isn't two. So it's the same computer that I do audio editing on, but thankfully this computer is beefy enough that it can handle all of that really well. So it was where you were talking about before having the latest drivers. And for me, one of the reasons why I went more rolling that kind of guided me over this long-term process was I wanted 
the newer versions of Darktable. I wanted the newer versions of GIMP. I wanted the newer versions of Rapid Photo Downloader when they released. And not only were there improvements to just basic functionality, but there was new features that were coming in, new features that could help with my workflow, change some things up, make stuff better. And those were very important to me to have. Now, You've got things like snaps or flat packs. They came along after I was kind of in in the Linux world. So on an Ubuntu, if you have a snap of Darktable, then you can get a lot of that latest goodness without having to be on a rolling. Now we've got that, I guess, advantage thrown in as if you need the stable, completely stable system that doesn't move because things need to be on this version of the kernel, but you can have the latest version of of whatever software. Flexibility along with stability. I know those are in some ways very um, at odds with one another, but having something that's malleable enough for me to adjust to what my kind of shifting requirements and shifting hardware and so forth, and, and also stable enough that I don't really have to worry about it. I actually went from OpenSUSE Elite to Tumbleweed, not because I had any particular software requirements or I didn't really need the new Shiny, although now I like it. Uh, But (laughs) I went there because Leap kind of got boring for me. It just worked. I didn't have to do anything. It just, you know, I'd install it and yay. Uh, You know, my early days of Linux, there was always a, uh, for lack of a better term, there was always a battle to make sure everything worked. (laughs) And there was something enjoyable about that. And then, uh, you know, being on OpenSUSE for eight years ago or so, 2012, 13 timeframe, it got kind of boring. There, you know, the, the features, whatever it was upstream, you know, everything just kind of worked and I didn't have to, I, there was no challenge. So I went, I went to Tumbleweed expecting that I can do bug reports and, you know, there'll be a little, do, have a lot more problems with it, but yet be stable enough that I could get my work done. And, and, uh, I, I find again, for the most part, outside of a bug that I filed this week, I've not really filed a whole lot of bugs uh, in that either. So, so I guess I could go crazy and go arch and you know have a broken system you know every other day. But now, now I'm doing things that require my computer to be more of an appliance and just to work and to do things. And so for me, a lot of that is you know you really got. I think Matt said it earlier. You really got to match your hardware with your distribution. And I think if I were running like an NVIDIA high-end machine, probably wouldn't be using Tumbleweed just because I, I don't have good luck with the NVIDIA on the Tumbleweed. That's not universal, but um, but I haven't. Well, it's almost not only matching the distribution to your hardware, it's mas- matching distribution to your personality and workflow. I noticed there's a lot of rolling releases that have gotten way more stable over the years. So you can definitely still have issues with Arch because that, you know, that's cutting edge straight up. But Manjaro's rolling and it's not a system that I've got a lot of problems with. It's almost like you with OpenSUSE. It's a system that works and it just runs, but I get a lot of the new stuff. Well, we'll kind of combine this is, you know, what what did you decide to seek out from a technical perspective, which would keep your Linux journey the most stress-free? Seeking answers on a forum, podcasts, instructional videos, et cetera, is an obvious answer. Uh, No need to mention them, but, you know, but they also ask, what did you decide to avoid? And for me, it was just headaches. I just want to avoid headaches. I want, I want to, I use Linux because 99% of the time it is the best tool for the job. I can nuke and pave and I have an operating system that is fully ready to go in 20 minutes. Can't say that with Windows. You definitely can't say that with Mac OS. And that to me is the, what makes Linux and my Linux journey totally stress-free is the fact that it doesn't matter if I'm running Ubuntu, 90% of most Linux distros are going to give 
give you some type of stress-free, ready-to-go environment. And to kind of have that reassurance to, to know that is really kind of nice because you're just like, okay, this will suck if this blows up and breaks, but I know I'm only 20 minutes away from a functional system at some point. That, that to me is kind of reassuring. For example, let's say you are a Mac user and, and that's what you could call that a, uh, a stress-free to some degree experience. Because, you know, everything is very well presented and all of usability. And let's say something goes wrong because something invariably will go wrong. Do you know how to fix it? How well do you know your system? You know, there, there's those questions to ask. You know, a uh, a tree that never sees the stresses of, of inclement weather, the first time it gets a bad storm will just fall over. So so my thought is there's got to be a little bit of work on your part learning. You know, there's got to be a little, you may call it stress. There has to be a little bit of stress involved. So it can't be totally stress-free. You know, and, and so things like, you know, if you're, I think it's Arco Linux. You can learn Arch. You mm-hmm. actually learn a lot about Linux in the process. You know, really, if your goal is to be an expert in Linux, that's really not a bad way to go because it, it takes you through the process of learning. Maybe is, is it the good first step? I don't know. That's that's arguable. It depends on what your mindset is, what you want out of Linux. Having something that it's easy enough to understand, but yet gives you time to master is really what I think your Linux experience should be. If you're just going to get into it and that's it, journey complete, now, you know, what, what's left you know what where's the excitement where you know what 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 exciting bits are left for you and uh and, that's and so I, that's what some people want though like my in-laws don't want to know and but i can definitely see where you're coming with on this the stress and we can pull that from the fitness world there's positive stress and negative stress and yes. when i lift weight that is definitely stress on my body i'm causing micro tears in the muscles but that is a positive stress that would re- result in growth and making me stronger so positive stress in the linux world would be i'm learning what these different distributions are. I'm learning what I want from my computer and therefore what I want from my distribution and and figuring those out. A negative stress in this situation would be, I can't make it work. I can't get my job done. I can't find the answers to fix it. And I'm out. I'm done. I agree. Yeah. But at the same time, the first time you go to to, to deadlift, you don't know how to do that. You can hurt yourself. You can hurt yourself. And and so there's a balance there. And I don't know where that line is. And I, that line is probably different for every person. I think we also have to remember like what audiences we're looking at too. Like like Wendy said, I think the the journey is kind of what you know you're looking at. Like what what are you looking for and how you navigate and what you're looking to avoid in that navigation. So you're you're obviously gonna have your pitfalls along the way. You know, Windows and Mac OS using both of them still, they definitely have their pitfalls. Don't don't let people, you know, sugarcoat that. Hello Windows DLLs, <laughs> hello Beach Ball of Death and Mac OS. You know, they all have they all have their problems. Just you know, various Linux distros have their problems. You will always run into problems. How you decide to handle that—that's well, that's a end user choice more than a, like uh, something we can avoid choice. So I think for me yeah. at the end, really at the end of the day, it's you'll get the knowledge, you'll get knowledge of what you're looking for from your operating system. It, well, specifically talking Linux here, obviously, but you will get your, what you're looking for in a distro as you go down that, 
proverbial rabbit hole of what you're looking for. So yeah, the, the choices kind of seem daunting, but you end up learning what to avoid. Your your Lennox journey is kind of like your journey in life. There, there's going to be some scars. There's going to be some bruises along the way, but eventually you'll find, okay, like this is what I want. This is what I need to avoid. You know, that, that experience kind of helps mold what you're looking for in not just like in life, but also in your technology choices, a distro, et cetera. So I, I think that's really where it boils down to. And I think sometimes somebody having a, a guide also helps. And I think that's where there's going to be a little bit of criticism to the Linux community. So, uh, you know, that's something we can potentially do a little bit better for uh, newer users is, you know, help guide them to what might work best for them and not kind of give them what we think is going to be best because it's best for us. We got to kind of tailor what might be best for them. So And that goes back to why I didn't use Ubuntu in the beginning was because of some of that negativity over it. Mm -hmm. But there's also some great resources because I know podcasts was a huge thing that I found and looked for when I first started using Linux. And some of that was it gave me some tips and tricks. And at the same time, I could hear how other people were using Linux. And I was like, oh, I didn't think about that. I can do that too. At the end of the day, it's the life journey mentality when it comes to Linux as well. And that we as Linux users can just maybe possibly do a little more to, to, especially the ones that are willing to install an OS, because let's be honest, most people aren't going to want to, they're going to use whatever they get in front of them first because, you know, they use the default. Yeah. Most people aren't going to go out of their way to install a new OS. We do because we're more of the adventurous type. We, We like going out and exploring the world of technology you know the, the the technologists and that kind of stuff i'm not saying we're all that way i'm just simply saying that we're we are looking for more kind of people. and most people who listen to this are listening or wanting more willing to do some changes and, and that kind of thing that definitely falls with this crowd but it's not everybody that we know is using linux falls into that crowd so if we're helping somebody else move this journey to go from, say, taking their Windows 7 machine and making it useful again and secure by putting Linux on it, these are some of the things that kind of need to be thought about in in directing them is, do they need something that's rolling or not? Do they, what software do they need? What desktop environment would work best for them? All of that kind of stuff in thinking about our own journeys kind of helps those other people in our lives who could not only benefit from Linux, but really don't want to learn the ins and outs of it either. But the one thing I want to make clear is that we need to remember, we need to keep what they need in mind, not what we think they need. Because only really at the end of the day, do they understand what they are looking for out of a a piece of technology. We, We can assume, but... That that doesn't that usually ends up with bad results for everybody involved. I don't disagree yeah. with that statement, but I think though you still need a starting point. Everyone always needs a starting point rather than analysis over analysis. Just start someplace, and I think you have to kind of put a bow on this. You know, there are some clear choices for starting. May not be my preference, but that they are easy. the The learning curve is is gentle enough that you can get going pretty quickly. I'm also, I don't know why I didn't think about it, but you know, Ubuntu Mate, the way they did a welcome screen and, and how they hold your hand through a lot of the process, that's another really great way to go as well. I'm just thinking like just, just from a very basic, this is just how you kind of get rolling with, with it. 
Yeah. Uh, from a very basic point of view is like Wendy said to, to wrap this up is, do you need a, what's your hardware requirements? Do you have the, are you one to jump hardware a lot? Rolling, unfortunately, is probably your best bet. So you might, I, I haven't tried the rolling Rhino stuff enough to actually play with that. Nate, you'll have to let me know how that goes. Um, It'll go smashingly well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, your hardware requirements and understanding where they're coming from. I think is that that's the biggest thing is if they're a Mac user, I'm probably going to actually end up recommending probably like elementary OS, not because of the, the Mac aesthetic, but because the, the nature in which they develop that particular OS. Whereas if you're just looking for kind of a catch all one size fits all, I'd probably say Ubuntu or Pop OS. Okay. There's but, no one size fits all. <laughs> no, there isn't. Uh, and <laughs> why do you think Linux as a desktop is so hard to track for how many users we have? Because <laughs> there's no yeah, one size yeah, fits absolutely. all. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords. The fact that Bitwarden is not only open source, but has had third-party security testing done is one reason I have chosen to trust them with my passwords. On their blog, they have recently announced another third-party security review has been completed. They have the security assessment available for anyone to review. My favorite part of the report and I quote, no exploitable vulnerabilities were discovered. Thank you, Bitwarden, for offering such a feature-rich password manager and making security checks a priority. You can get started with a free account by going to bitwarden.com DLN. Want to support this open source project and help them continue to conduct third-party security audits? That support starts at only $10 a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com DLN to learn more. Well, Matt, what is the new game this week? Actually, I already gave it this week. Uh, it's Guilty Gear Xer Revelator, as I say, said earlier. Uh, just, I love this game too much to not plug it twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the link will be in the show notes for where you can get it on Steam. I would actually recommend picking this up at full price because it, every aspect of this game works on Linux. Online, single player, no configuration needed. That is the best part. You literally double click the Proton enabling stuff in Steam and you just click the big old download and the big old play button when it's done downloading. And that's it. Nice. That is why I <laughs> games that are like that are definitely the ones I'm going to highlight because I'm very con- I, uh, when I, I talked about having a, a gaming machine. So I take the Steam OS, uh, the, the Steam OS approach to it it boots into big picture mode i barely see the os and the only thing i see is the the ui for steam that is it unless i'm doing some like lutris stuff or whatever but it's all about the gaming exactly and for me just click the install button click play and it works on proton out of the box no you know custom version of glorious egg roll or any of the wine tricks and proton tricks and all the other kind of stuff that i don't mind doing but it it takes away from the experience. I'm probably going to pretty much ignore the game. Let's just be honest. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I don't get that ability because they're not games that I want to play, but they're games the kids want to play. And it's mainly Sonic games. I do a lot of fighting with some of the Sonic games of, okay, what configuration files need to be changed here? What 
boot flags need to be added, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can be, if it doesn't work, it, like, unfortunately that's, that's one of those. It's, it's hard if that's the games that people want to play. I'm more yeah. of, a, I'm kind of all over the map with my gaming. So it doesn't really matter to me. It's like, Oh, game doesn't work. Move on to the next one. <laughs> I don't know. A dedicated game, gaming machine sounds like a luxury to me. That sounds just absolutely glorious. Uh, it's not a luxury. It's one that I definitely paid for. It's, a, nece- it's a necessity. Uh, it, <laughs> well, it is because it's a, it's a test machine for a lot of the, the games that I do either try or stream or as much as I like ProtonDB and the rating system. I can't actually go by the rating system because of how some people make reports. Example, Persona 4 is rated gold right now, but you have to do a bunch of tweaks with proton wine tricks and proton tricks. That's not a gold rated game to me. <laughs> That's a uh, go find some DLLs in Windows equivocal, which most end users don't want to do. So do you, why not? I don't know because they just want to because most people who want to play games just they want to relax. They don't want to be, you know, they do technical support most of the time already. They don't want to do more. Um, Here's the thing that I like to do. That's the exact opposite of you. You like to stick the one distro. I don't. So uh, Nitrix just came out with a new release with the a new version of Plasma. And. Uh, I'm liking what Nitrix does. They basically try to take a elementary OS approach to the design aesthetic of QT, which I'm cool with. Um, I think, I think I like QT, but some of the design decisions around some of the apps are a little convoluted. So kind of having like a uniformity to stuff is kind of nice. I'm not going to lie. So I, I can appreciate what they're trying to do. I'm not a big fan of like flat designs and that kind of stuff, but I like a lot of the work that Nitrix does as far as and what they show off with QT and like Maui and that kind of stuff. So really cool. Um, I always enjoy giving this a test drive. So I'll be testing out that for the probably the next week or two. So see how that goes. So Nate, what have you been up to as far well, it, as your fun projects? It has been a uh, a week of new CPUs. By new, I mean new for me CPUs because I don't have anything new. New old CPUs. New old CPUs. <laughs> new, new original stock. Um, so I, I recently upgraded, as in like Sunday, upgraded the CPU in my primary machine, which I'm using right now. I went from a two-core, four-thread CPU, which was you know an upgrade from my two-core only CPU pre- uh, computer previous to that, to a four-core, eight-thread. So a double-double. You know, double, I've doubled twice now in the last two years. And nice. I will say that I... I'm I'm mostly happy with the results. I don't feel like I'm getting as much performance out of it, but it could be because I'm putting a higher uh, rated wattage CPU than than what was originally the computer's designed for. But the the other side of it is the computer runs a lot cooler now than it did before. Not sure if it's the thermal paste, but that doesn't make that makes sense because then you're not transferring as much heat. So I think it actually should feel hotter coming out of the side. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not an expert there. But it, it does seem to run. Everything seems to run a lot snappier and faster. So I feel like I'm going to get a few more months of life out of this computer. And, and the reality is, I needed another CPU for a different project that I'm not ready to talk about yet. And, uh, and so, so I was going to buy a CPU anyway for this specific project. But I thought, well, why not spend the extra twenty bucks for this CPU and stuff it in this computer and, and try and make my life a little bit better. So here, what I have noticed is my uh, my computer doesn't run as like it's a you know, monitoring my my CPU usage. It runs at a lower frequency now most of the time and runs, you know, like 
everything just seems to be at a lower percentage as well. So it seems like, you know, I'm, you know, things are better. You know, it seems, it seems like a better experience. There's, I don't get any like the weird hanging, like if I'm doing, trying to do too many things at once, I don't get any kind of weird hanging anymore. So that's nice. And uh, yeah, I'm pr- pretty happy. And also my primary, not my primary, but my uh, my workstation server system, I uh, I had some trouble with that machine and um, it was like, it kept locking up. And I didn't want to tell you guys that, you know, my OpenSUSE Tumbleweed AMD AM3 FX series system keeps locking up and I don't know why. Hopefully it's not the software. Uh, well, I did some, I, I ran some tests on it the memory test that kept locking up at the same point every time. And then I went and I talked with uh, with Adam Grubbs. He said, well, have you updated the BIOS in it? Because you know, it could be a new a new kernel that might be conflicting with you know something in, in, the, in the BIOS or whatever. He says, I don't know, it could be. So I updated the BIOS. And then when I rebooted that machine, it told me flat out, you can't have a CPU that's more than 200 watt TDP and shutting down in five seconds. So I got a oh, CPU wow. for that. So maybe, maybe I've been <laughs> stressing the whole thing for a while now. And he said, I probably fried something. So I thought, well, what, what the heck, what's, what's another CPU, right? So I I put a lower powered CPU in that and now it's been running great. It's not as fast as it was, but it's also not as locky. Freezing up. up. Yeah. yeah. That's probably more doesn't, important. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't freeze up. So it's more consistent. It's like the tortoise in the hair, right? But it's not a tortoise. It's just not as fast. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, on Discourse, Mumble or Discord. You can visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and also on shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. For more information on me, you can go to cubiclenate.com Links to my regular written blatherings, my podcast and YouTube channel is found there. And you can follow my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. I'm sharing all kinds of fun images over on my Instagram, Linux and Lyft. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Bye.